Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter four. And we just have a couple more weeks in First Peter. First Peter chapter four. I'm curious. uh, When are the times in our life that we are most prone to struggle or maybe even not worship God? And I'm asking for you to respond. Okay, it's easy. It's it. All right. When when things are easy, when else? In depression. When else? In grief. Even in joy. When we step back and realize the call in God's word for us to worship the Lord continually, that's a lot easier said than done. We are a people who is really prone to stepping into this in the way we most feel fit or best understand. And while when things get difficult, we may be prone to go to the Lord, a better question for us to maybe wrestle with is, in those times, do we worship the Lord? When we are in the midst of suffering, how do we respond? When we face hardship... How do we respond? Uh, If I'm honest, uh, a lot of times I complain to the Lord. Or I become frustrated with the Lord. That things aren't different. Uh, Maybe even uh, we try to justify before God why it should be better than it is. And regardless of what The state of being is for us right now. What I want us to challenge ourselves with today as we look at first Peter is how should we respond when we face suffering? 
How should we react? Specifically when we suffer for walking in obedience to God's will. I'm going to read 1 Peter 4 starting in verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And as I do so, remember that 1 Peter is being written to the church, to people who say, we follow Jesus. And he gives them this instruction and encouragement. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when, everyone say when, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in That name for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Father, as we unpack this text, may you open our eyes by the work of your spirit that we would be the church you've called us to be. May you open our ears that we would hear what is true, no matter how uncomfortable that may be. And then, Lord, may you equip us and motivate us to respond accurately that you would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So there's really three aspects of this when we consider Peter's instruction to the church at how they should respond when suffering comes. When the church suffers, ask why rejoice and trust the Lord. In essence, this summarizes the whole of what he shares in the verses that follows. Uh, But notice he starts this time by Reminding them not to be surprised at the fiery trial. This is a very descriptive trial here. This is not just a discomfort. The fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, Now, let's think in terms of the cultural context that's taking place here. This is a church that is uh, scattered throughout what is today modern day Turkey. So the cultural people that Peter's writing to are uh, groupings of people spread all throughout this region. Now, the other aspect of this is in order to really get an appreciation for what's happening here and what he's encouraging them with, we also need to understand church history. And specifically speaking, up to this point when Peter's writing this, from what we can understand from history is that Christianity had largely been tolerated by the Roman government. Maybe not encouraged, maybe not promoted, but tolerated. That is, 
there had not up to this point been that much persecution. And you could argue largely that was due to the fact that there weren't that many people originally that were following the way, the way of Jesus. But now this comes after Christ has been crucified, has raised again and has ascended. It comes after the establishment of the church throughout the region that we see in the book of Acts. And we see now that they're writing to encourage and almost pre-prime prepare the people for a suffering that is about to come. And so in the midst of this, you might ask, well, what is the suffering that is coming? And why would Peter see the need to prepare them in such a way? Well, if you know history, you know that Nero took power around 54 AD and what followed was a persecution of Christians that has come to be known as Nero's reign of terror. There is historical accounts of Nero using Christians as lanterns for his garden as guests walked through where they would cover them in a material that would burn well and light them on fire to illuminate the garden as people walked through it. We see the implementation of Roman activity like the Colosseum, where Christians were slaughtered in this season. We see the intentional killing of those who refused to renounce their faith in Christ. All of this is coming. And Peter's seeking to prepare the church. Now, I don't know about you, but... If we were to look at it through that lens and say uh, that you had an expectation that this is what is going to happen to you and someone writes to you or sends you a message or calls you and says, hey, don't be surprised when this happens. Uh, it's not really that strange that it's going to happen. I feel like we would kind of respond like, what? Don't don't be surprised. Uh, something strange. I I. Maybe even we would step back and we go, I, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I, I, I thought, I thought Jesus was going to give me life. I, I thought that he was going to bring blessing. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but the instruction begins with don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes it's it's going to come and when it comes we shouldn't think this is strange now here's where these three exhortations come into play because what may be happening to us first needs to be seen through the lens of why am i suffering why am i experiencing suffering now, if you jump forward just a little bit in verse 15, where it says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Uh, here's the truth that is hard to hear sometimes that not all suffering is because you are a follower of Jesus. And here's some biblical examples. Uh, Solomon suffered because of his pride. Originally, we see Solomon as a pretty upright guy. And in fact, when, at, when, when given the opportunity 
at the beginning of his kingship to ask the Lord for anything, anything at all. He goes, I would like wisdom to rule well. And the Lord gives him that and significantly more. But over time, what you see is Solomon indulge in the things of the world and eventually reaches this pinnacle where he steps out and he goes, look at what I've built. And in that moment, he experiences a suffering that is the judgment of God for what he has done. Samson suffers because of his own stupid choices. You read in the book of Judges and you see Samson and how he just consistently walks unfaithfully. He consistently turns away from the things he knows he's supposed to do. And eventually ends up with his eyes gouged out, imprisoned with no strength, the laughing stock of the people who had imprisoned the Philistines. Once a mighty warrior, now humiliated because of his own sinful choices. David, called a man after God's own heart, commits his sin with Bathsheba and experiences the suffering of losing his son because of his poor choices. Think of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament who made the choice not to obey the word of the Lord and confidently go into the promised land and instead made a choice out of fear and spent the next 40 years wandering in the desert. So when we step back and we experience suffering, we first need to be able to ask the question, why am I suffering? I may be suffering because of poor choices that I've made in the past. I may be suffering because of dwelling in a sinful world. You are going to step into a world and face sufferings of kinds just because the world is a sinful place. I may be suffering because I have not lived in obedience to God's instruction and I'm paying the consequences. In other words, in the midst of our suffering, God may be letting us lie in a bed that we have made ourselves. And yet Peter writes for a different type of suffering. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, that is a follower of Jesus, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. If the church suffers as followers of Christ, don't be ashamed of that. In other words, if we suffer because we're doing the very will of God that he's called us to do as the church, praise God. But we need to make sure that the suffering we face is actually suffering because we're being obedient to God, not rebellious against him. We see in Romans one that Paul reiterates and goes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Didn't matter what people thought about Paul proclaiming the gospel because he goes, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Praise God if we suffer for his name, for his purposes and for his glory. Amen. Now, this question of why am I suffering should stimulate a personal evaluation of who we are. And in that evaluation should bring us to this place of going, well, 
Why does it why does it matter so much who we are? Well, it matters because the very suffering I may be enduring is as the result of either godly choices or poor choices. One needs changed. The other needs celebrated. The other aspect of this that many people in the church don't like to talk about is the fact that judgment is coming and every one of us will appear before the throne, the, the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, we tend to think in terms of that. Uh, judgment only comes for those who are apart from Christ. Well, that's uh, wrong theology based in what Scripture actually says. And in fact, verse 17 here says, For it is time for judgment to begin where? At the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And this is meant to raise an awareness that it's not just... People who've chosen not to follow Jesus who stand before God in judgment, but every single one of us. And this is emphasized in Second Corinthians. It says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Why? For we must, what is that? All, everyone say all. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Romans 14 says the similar thing. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or, or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. At the end of the day, you and I are responsible to the Lord for how we choose to live our lives. We are responsible to the Lord for who we are as the church. Now, you might look at this and go, well, then what difference is there between the person who says, I follow Jesus and the person who doesn't if we all stand before the judgment seat of God? Well, Romans 8, 1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The the gospel of God that is spoken about here in verse 17, those who do not obey the gospel of God are those who reject Christ in a way of saying, I'm going to save myself. And we would say any suffering that is incurred from us trying to save ourselves is a bed we have made for ourselves. And yet God has called us to a different way, rooted in the truth of the gospel, that that there is salvation in no one else. That I am incapable in and of my own self To stand before God. I cannot do it. Because of my sin before God. And yet Christ made a way through his flesh. He died, was buried and rose again, showing that death is defeated. That anyone who believes in the name of Jesus will be saved. But if I just know that and it doesn't transform me, then. Have I really been reborn? And I will give an account. I will give an account before God of how I chose to live. So if I suffer 
If the answer to why is I'm suffering because of the choices I've made, good news, that can that can be changed. But it takes repentance, it takes humility, and it takes devotion to say I'm going to walk in obedience to the Lord in His way, not my way. Now, the, this is really all to contrast what Peter's talking about here, which is a suffering because the church is obedient. A suffering because the church is faithful. And my prayer is that that would be true of us. That we would not suffer because we are making poor choices. But rather that we would suffer if it be the will of God for us to do so because we walk in obedience to His way. And if that is the reason we suffer, then the second exhortation when that suffering comes is to Rejoice. Verse 12, beloved, or verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, why in the world would Peter write this, such a thing? Every time I come to this in scripture, I would love to be a fly on the wall when the people read this for the first time. Just because I'm curious how they responded. Were they already facing this suffering or were they getting reports of this suffering happening in other places? And were fearful of what was coming. And then they get this letter that says, beloved, don't be surprised when this gets to you. Don't be surprised when this enters your land and your communities. But it, in, instead of being surprised, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Rejoice when you get to share in the sufferings that Christ himself suffered. And we read that and we go, rejoice? Really? Rejoice? This is not, this is not what my brain first goes to when I think of suffering, the persecution that we see throughout history. And yet it's not the only place we see it, is it? James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. That's mature, lacking in nothing. Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 5 say, Blessed are you when others revile you, slander you, and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. For so they did. And understand this, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In a modern day context, if someone suffers for the sake of the gospel, the culture looks at that and goes, what's the point? Why would you continue to endure this level of suffering for something that isn't here? It gives you no benefit. That's the cultural lens. And Peter says, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when? When his glory is revealed. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of 1 Peter where it speaks of a living hope. 
You've been born again to a living hope. And we talked about what is hope there. It's a confident assurance. What is our confident assurance in? Our confident assurance should be in the fact that this is not our home. Our confidence assurance should be in the in the the clinging to the truth that Jesus is coming back and will make all things new. Our, our hope, our confident assurance should be in the fact that though the world can take everything on this earth from me, it can never take Jesus from me. And when our hope is rooted in that, then even if we face the sufferings that we see the church faced in this period of history, even if that comes to us today, that we can rejoice and say, I know that I am going to be no gladder than I will be when Jesus is glorified right in front of me. And the reward is not of this world. It's not of this earth. It's an eternal reward. Rejoice when you share in the sufferings because of Christ in you. Paul recounts this even as he uh, talks about in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. And he repeats that and he says, I count everything as loss just for knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And his comparison to that is he says, it's all manure, it's all dung, it's all rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus. And therefore he goes, I, I, I'll suffer, I will gladly suffer the loss of everything I have for the sake of Jesus. It's a, a radical mindset to step back and go, where do we fall in that? Are we willing to suffer the loss of everything that I cling to in this earth for the sake of Jesus? It's really easy for us to say that, uh, in theory, but the reality is, for you and I, unless, until we are faced with something like that, we really don't know, do we? We really don't know. It's why trial becomes one of the greatest tests of our faith. Because in the midst of trial, the question we should be asking is, where do I, where do I look? Where do I fix my eyes? In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the fire, do I crumble under the pressure of that? Or do I confidently hope in my God who does not change? And Peter here is encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ, this trial, these fiery trials are coming. And when they do, rejoice knowing that those who've gone before you suffered in the same way. But more than that, Christ himself suffered because he walked in obedience to God the Father. Christ himself suffered because he set aside his own will and said, not my will be done, but yours. And it takes us as the church going, God, not our will be done. Whether it be on an individual level or on a corporate level, not our will, but yours. Which reminds us of last week's message that glory belongs to who? God alone. That should be our aim. But it's not just identifying and asking why and then moving over into rejoicing, understanding that our hope is not here. But the third 
exhortation here is to trust the Lord. When you are suffering, trust the Lord. Verse 19 says, therefore, let those who suffer according. Here's the here's the caveat. According to God's will. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Proverbs 3 is a well-known passage of scripture that tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And to not lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge him and he will what? Direct or make straight your paths. Family, the way of the Lord very well may include suffering. If we obey the will of the Lord and suffer as a result, do not grow weary of staying on the way of the Lord. If we walk in obedience to God's instruction and endure hardship as a result, do not shy away from walking in obedience to the Lord. And so the question becomes, well, then how do I respond when I'm seeking to follow the way of the Lord and I meet these intense sufferings at the hand of me walking in obedience to the Lord? What do I do? You fix your eyes on the Lord. Because the journey is not the reward. The end is. You fix your eyes on Jesus and you walk faithfully as he's called us to. You remember Psalm 23 says, even though we walk through the valley of deep darkness, the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear. Why? Because he's with us. We're not doing it alone. But here's what we do, family. We walk along and we're we're following God's way, following God's way. And it gets kind of rocky. Following it, doing it God's way. And so we, we look over here and we go, <clears throat> this path seems a lot smoother. You, you can keep going that way, God. I'm going to go this way. And then we get over here and we feel isolated and we feel alone. And we feel burdened and heavy. And, we, and, th- and then what do we do? We, we, we yell at God. Why did you do this to me? I'm seeking to honor you with my life. I'm seeking to be devoted to you and devoted to the things of you. Yeah, but you stopped actually walking in obedience. And in so doing, you separated yourself. It didn't mean that God was absent. It means I was absent. I removed myself from that. The, the great hope in Romans 8 is that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It didn't affect God's love for you. But when you choose to walk in disobedience to God's purposes and God's will, you become isolated and alone by your own doing. Church, if we're not careful, we as a church will do the exact same thing. If we take our eyes off of what is true and we take our eyes off of God, then we are on a course for our own self-destruction. Whether that be in our individual life or in the life of the church. The alternative is when we can commit to saying, regardless of what comes, we will serve the Lord. Regardless of what comes, we will walk in obedience to the Lord. Regardless of what comes, we will rejoice knowing that God in Christ has gone before us. And our hope is in no one else. So as we think about applying this, I want to challenge you. By saying, let our suffering be for our obedience to God in Christ. 
If you're in the midst of a heavy trial right now, where can you praise the Lord in the midst of that trial? If you have suffered loss in this season, where can you worship the Lord in the midst of your grief? I tell people there's a reason there's an entire book in the Bible devoted to lament, sadness. So often we confuse joy and rejoicing with happiness. If we suffer for anything, let it be because of our devotion to the Lord. If we suffer for anything, let it be because we walk in obedience to the Lord. If we suffer for anything, let it be because our eyes are fixed on Jesus and no one else. And then let us pursue ongoing devotion to His way and His will, no matter what the cost. But it has to start with a resolve that we will serve no one else. It has to start with a commitment at the individual and the corporate level for us to say, I follow Him and none other. And the number one king we're prone to follow is ourselves. The number one individual we're prone to pursue after is the one we want, not him.